I feel like we've had church already today, and it was so needed for my heart, and it was so good to do it with my church family, to, to pray together, to worship together. And so today, I have something I've been kind of carrying in my heart for a few weeks now, and I've been reading it spontaneously to different folks, this passage in, in Matthew 5. And so we'll, we'll get in there in a second. Uh, actually, in the meantime, why don't you turn to Matthew chapter 5. So get your Bibles or your devices or your scrolls or your eyeballs. Just use your eyeballs because we got it on the Sky Bible behind me. But as you, as you kind of get all those things, um, in the beginning of the year, we, had, uh, we believed that God spoke to our hearts about two main things. And it was our pace as a church and our priorities. Our pace and our priorities and our commitment to follow Jesus. And so we embarked on this teaching series called Unhurried, Slowing Down and Finding Life. Did you guys find that rewarding? Yeah. I know I did. It was, I found it really impactful, actually. And, as I, and so this was kind of our key verse was Matthew 11. And it was also pooling a lot and sourcing a lot from John Mark Homer's book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And as I taught it, as we kind of journeyed and explored this, this idea of the pace of Jesus. What's the pace of Jesus? What's the pace of love? I just was super challenged because I live a very busy life and I find value in being busy, I think. I've realized. It's like, if I'm more busy, then, I, then I'm more important, right? Yeah, that, that, that's what the world tells me. And I just felt like it was really impactful for our team and for our church to kind of slow down and assess. I found it really inf um, influencing. And it, we engaged this question. It's like, what does it look like to reprioritize our life around what's most important? How do we reorganize our life in such a way that we can slow down and engage what matters most? Because if we adopt the pace and the priorities of Jesus, we won't miss what he's doing. We won't miss what he's saying. God is speaking to us. I don't want to miss it. And if we match his pace and his priorities, we'll know where he's going and we can follow him as the great shepherd. And one of the main ideas that we covered in this teaching series was apprenticeship to Jesus. And so it's kind of like reclaiming this, this idea of apprenticeship and almost like revitalizing the, the, the truth and the reality of discipleship. And so we called it apprenticeship to Jesus. What does it look like to match his pace and his priorities and, and live in his ways? And we broke it down in three really simple kind of steps. You might remember this. And the first one is you be with Jesus, <laughs> right? You be with the one who knows you and loves you the most. Just be with him. We give him our attention and our affection every day. And then second, if we, if the, the cool thing is this kind of cascades, if you be with Jesus, guess what happens? You become like Jesus. You're transformed. And this will change the way we act, the way we think, the way we live. And then if you become like Jesus, the byproduct is we will do what Jesus did and we'll serve and we'll heal and we'll love and we will pray and we will announce and declare the kingdom of God invading this dark world. And so there's no better step. We are kind of processing, and this was a really awesome teaching series. What do we want to do moving forward as a community? And I just think that there's no better step for this, this journey of apprenticeship to Jesus than to study the Sermon on the Mount the Beatitudes, and Sermon on the Mount. So that's what we're going to do. And so the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus's most pivotal and defining message. And so just to, so some of us, we, I feel really church sometimes. I'm like, Sermon on the Mount, yeah, 
Grew up with that. I can memorize. I have it memorized, you know? But this is incredible. This is Yahweh himself saying, if I had one pivotal defining message to give you, this is what it would be. This is the Sermon on the Mount beginning with Beatitudes. And so it's famously called the Sermon on the Mount. But I, I think actually, I think a better title might be, might be this. Jesus's manifesto for a whole new way of being human and the inbreaking reality of the kingdom of God. But that might be a mouthful. So let's just go with the Sermon on the Mount. That's all good. Sermon on the Mount. But the Sermon on the Mount is so much more than just a sermon. It truly is. That's why I love this word of a manifesto. It's, it's this proclamation of the constitution of the kingdom of God. And within it holds the reality and these ideals that brings healing and peacekeeping to our reality. This is what is embedded in this message from Jesus. It's the proclamation of the presence of God pouring out in our world. It's the kingdom of God. It's this whole new way of being human. It's a whole, way, whole new way of, of life from heaven. It's like, picture like blueprints on how to be citizens of heaven on earth. This is what Jesus is coming to declare, to provide. It's a whole new era. And so today I want to, I want to kind of explore this era, this revolution that Jesus came to bring, but he doesn't bring it like the world, right? The world is empir- empirical, like this 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 empire mentality. But Jesus is like, oh, it's actually a little different. It's a different type of subversion. And so we're going to explore that a little bit today about this inbreaking of the kingdom of God that was introduced on that day in Matthew 5 and is still inbreaking today. And so we're going to examine our life based on this new reality that Jesus is declaring. You guys with me with that? And so today, I really just, my heart is to, to provoke our spirit to the Beatitudes. And we're going to go a little bit more in depth and go verse by verse through this incredible passage. But today is an overview, some broad strokes, but to stir our hearts to what God is doing. You know, it's my heart and my prayer that we are going to receive this invitation from Jesus that he gave to this crowd on that day, but is also for us to join in, to step deeper into the life of the kingdom of God. This is the only way peace and renewal can truly take form in our day. So let's read it together. Matthew 5. Matthew 5, verse 1. Jesus says, well, actually, it starts off with a little context. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Really, Jesus. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. 
For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. You know, in this passage, there is so much paradox. It's like, it almost seems absurd. It's like, this, it seems self-contrary, like, it's contrary to, like, what it's presenting itself as. Like, it just seems kind of backwards or upside down. Does that make sense? It's like, really, it's the meek who inherit the earth. I don't, I don't really know about that. But we're going to spend a little bit of our time kind of unpacking paradox and this upside-down kingdom that Jesus came to bring. And so why don't you, just for the fun of it, why don't you turn to your neighbor and look at your neighbor and say, paradox. Good job. <laughs> paradox, paradox, paradox. Amen. We're going we're gonna to journey through this. And so let's, uh, let's actually just pray, and then we'll continue. So Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for preserving the gospels that we build our foundation on, that anchors our heart and our soul in our church. And I thank you for this passage declaring basically the constitution of what it means to be a believer in Christ and how we should act. And so would you give us open hearts to this? Would you speak Jesus and let us leave changed? In Jesus' mighty name, amen. 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 You know, uh, many of you guys know that Rachel and I, I spent about three years or so in full-time missions with Youth with a Mission. Uh, and we, uh, our, my heart is huge for Ukraine because in, at our base, we had five target nations because when you're a missions base, like there's just so many countries. So to allow some more focus and strategy is you, we prayed about it and we had certain countries and nations in mind and Ukraine was one of them. And we use, and, and Taiwan is another one. And we, with the strategy that we could go from, from Ukraine to Russia and Taiwan to China, right? And so anyway, we, we were in missions and it's a bunch of young people who are on fire for God, most of them. And, but not a lot of experience and a lot, not a lot of necessarily talent, to be honest. And we would have worship every single day. And so when you have worship every single day, you have to kind of like, it spreads the talent pool a little bit. And so anyway, I remember this one time we were gathering for worship and we were, we were trying to press in and praise God and the team that was leading worship was just not good at all. And I have an ear for, for music, and I was just, like, being so distracted by it. And I was like, it's so off-key, and, like, everything's off so bad. And, like, I'm just sitting there just, like, processing the bad worship, you know? And just, like, and I'm, like, supposed to be a missionary. I'm like, this is, this is terrible. And, uh, and I remember this in the midst of all of that, and I wasn't alone. I think a lot of us were just like, what's going on? And uh, I remember this one guy, though. His name was also Zach. And he was, I'm, like, in a move just, like, thinking about him, but he was almost front center, just kind of like, just on the side, up front, on his knees, arms raised, praising Jesus. <laughs> and I remember just being like, this is such a stark kind of picture, because these kids up there, they're, bless their hearts, they're doing, they're doing their best, but it's terrible, and this guy's, like, it's as if it's the best worship experience he's ever had. And I remember just being like, what is going on? I got to talk to him, like, Zach, what was going on, man? There's just like, why were you doing that? How could you do that? And he was like, kind of laughed. He's like, yeah, I wasn't doing it because the worship was so good. I was doing it because Jesus is worthy. Jesus is worthy. And I just found it really humble of him to do that. When everyone else was like, we're not really with this. And he's like, I'm with it because Jesus is worthy. 
It takes a meekness. It takes a humility. It takes a heart, like a poor in spirit. I don't care what the worship's like. I'm going to worship Jesus. He saved my life. I'm poor in spirit. I need him. Maybe if I actually go on my knees and raise my hands, I'll tell, remind my mind and my heart that who, who my Savior is. And I remember just like that kind of searing in my mind, just being like, this is what I want to be like. And we'll pursue excellence with worship, but it's not contingent on the worship. It's contingent on the character of Jesus. And so I say this, and I'm, I was reminded of this passage in Psalm 95. And I'm going to read that. And the psalmist says, come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. And I just believe that the kingdom of God, I'm just certain of this, that the kingdom of God belongs to to those who choose to operate from this heart who choose to operate from this kind of meekness and humility and desperation and poverty of spirit, I will worship you no matter what. Jesus is saying this should be the constitution of a believer's heart because it's the constitution of the kingdom of God. So the question is, will we carry this heart moving forward when no one's looking, when everyone's looking? Will we carry this reality within us and live it out in our lives? You know, many of us, we ache. I think there, I could speak for, for many of us. We ache and long to see heaven come to earth, right? Let the truth of heaven, the reality and truth of heaven land in our day. Let the healing and the revival land in our homes and in our region and in the world. And let peace come. Let peace pierce the darkness. Bring order to the chaos, Right? And we pray, Lord, would you come? Even now, would you come? Would you pour out your spirit? Let your kingdom come and break out with peace and revival in this day. Many of us carry this substance in our heart. But I, and I know this, and we continue to, to, to persevere in that. But plainly, I think if we want to see this happen, two things need to take place and continue. Number one, we need to pray like never before like never before. We need to reclaim our identity as a people of prayer. You guys hear me say that. This should mark who we are. We pray, we partner, we're intimate with God. And secondly, we need to operate from this place that Jesus is talking about in this passage. We should operate from a poverty of spirit. We should operate from mourning. And not mourning just like, okay, things, bad things have happened to me, although we should embrace mourning in that way. But it's also mourning for other people. I can't believe this is happening to you. I carry this burden with you. I want to see justice for this, right? It's mourning and carrying each other's tr uh, struggles. Meekness, hunger and thirst for righteousness. Instead of being like, let me just push my sin to the edge. Let's just see how far I can get until grace runs out. No, no, no. We hunger and thirst for righteousness and for mercy. We're pure in heart. I want to see God. Let me be pure in hearts, peacemakers, even persecuted. So this is what is God is inviting us into. So this is what it means to practice the ways of Jesus. And let me just put it, let me put it plainly. If we don't do these things, if I don't do these things, if we don't operate from this place in our heart, and if we don't pray like never before, we will fall. 
We will fall. We will get washed away. We'll crash. Be washed away with the streams of our society and the trials of this world. And we will be no help to the world because we're not even really helping ourselves. So this is what Jesus is saying in this passage. And so I also want to skip forward to the bookend of this, of this sermon. And so this is Matthew chapter 7. So Sermon on the Mount is 5, 6, and 7. And this is Jesus' final concluding words for what we're going to tackle in this teaching series. And it's a bit of a warning. And he says this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. The Sermon on the Mount is written to be this constitution, let it be that which you build your foundation for the, for the working and the business of the kingdom of God in, or, in ordinary life. But it's also specifically, I think, designed to be, it was written for crisis. In the middle of the storm, in the middle of shaking, when things are uncertain, it was written to prepare a people to lead with love and courage and compassion and mercy and humility in the midst of the most difficult times, in the midst of the storms and the tempest. When the streams rise and when they rail, and they rail, don't they? <laughs> they rail against our hearts. They rail against our minds. They rail against our sense of peace. They rail against our marriage and our kids. They rail against the peace of the world. They rail against truth itself even. When the storms come and the waters rise, will we be immovable? This is the question. Because we've built our life on the ways of Jesus and the gospel of the kingdom. Church, this is what the world needs of us right now. Right now. To take on this heart. This is what the world needs the church to become, to be to step into more fullness, to do, to anchor ourselves on the rock, to build our foundation, every part on the rock, to do the hard work, the serious work of healing and peacemaking in our day. If you believe that and want to be that, would you say amen? Amen. amen. Let it be. In Matthew 5, I want to read this, verse 1 and 2 again. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. There's a lot of significance in this little line right here. S sit down is, it's a rabbinical kind of tradition. A rabbi would sit down when he was teaching and it was a sign of authority and it was a sign of rest. So Jesus is saying, here's authority and here's rest at the same time and let me provide you with this truth. And also there's this mountain why does, why does Matthew bring up the mountain? Why is that an important detail? It's like, okay, he was elevated a little bit. No, there's significance in that. It says this, his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. So something really, really profound is, is Matthew's setting something up really, really profound right here in this. So a little bit more context. Throughout the scriptures, amazing things happen on mountains. If you just think about the catalog of the library of scripture, all these incredible things happen on mountains. Is this significant? Yes. And I believe, 
I believe this from my reading of the scripture and interpretation, but also most theologians would agree that Moses, so picture Moses back in Exodus, Moses on Mount Sinai, he's having this radical glory moment with God. He's getting this impartation of the law and the teachings for God's new chosen royal priesthood, this new nation that he's establishing. He, he, sets for, he gives him this teaching on the, mount, on the mountain, Mount Sinai in Exodus 19. And that event is actually foreshadowing to Jesus in Matthew 5. So think about how profound that is. All of this accumulating, just this process, this progressive kind of revelation is actually pointing to our Lord Jesus Christ on this, this mountain. He's giving this Sermon on the Mount. This new way to take on the, the chosen reality. Like we are kingdom people. This is how you live. And now when Jesus is giving the Sermon on the Mount, it's actually a call back to Exodus 19. Does that make sense? It's profound. And so in Matthew 5, it's, it's not Moses giving the teaching to the people. Now it's Yahweh himself giving this teaching. The Lord himself through Jesus teaching a new law through his words, through his teaching, and also through his actions. I'll show you how to live this out. This is a new law based on love and humility and mercy for others and compassion and self-sacrifice. The Sermon on the Mount, though, you know, it's, it's interesting. As, if you look at it, it's just, as, as kind of we mentioned, it seems upside down. It's like, really, it seems paradoxical. It's, the meek inherit the world? What? No, no, no. Last time I checked, the meek get run over, right? The ambitious and the aggressive inherit the earth. They, they make it happen. They get things done. Jesus is like, no, it's actually upside down. I think, you know, so Jesus describes this upside down kingdom. Maybe perhaps it's more of a right side up kingdom. Maybe we're upside down. There's some paradoxes that I want to point out about the kingdom that I find really rewarding and really helpful. If you want to be exalted, and I think most of us, whether we know it or not, want to be exalted. If you want to be exalted, you actually need to go low, right? If you want to be filled, if you want to be filled, you actually have to empty yourself from your ego. If you want to, and if you want an abundance, you actually have to learn how to give, right? If you want abundance and live in the reality of abundance, you actually have to learn to your default is radical generosity. In the kingdom of God, abundance is measured by how much you give away, actually. I want more of that. In the kingdom of God, if you want to be free, you have to what? You have to surrender. In the kingdom of God, if you want to be, it's actually the poor in spirit that are the most rich in grace. Another paradox. In the kingdom of God, humility is the landing pad for blessing and favor. <laughs> Why is that? Because pride actually blocks you from the spirit and from God's grace. That's why the meek, the humble, it's the meek who inherit the earth. You know, the Sermon on the Mount, sometimes people look at the Sermon on the Mount and they think it's some kind of like analysis on the world. It's like, this is how it is. It's not how it is. It's not a philosophical analysis of the world. It's actually an invitation from God of what he's instituting for us. It's an invitation for us to be dependent upon him alone. I'm not going to self-rely. I'm actually going to be humble. I'm going to prefer other people. I'm going to let people even walk all over me. There's a right way to do it with wisdom. But God is asking us to go low, to, to be interlocked with him, to trust him in everything we do. And it's a warning against self-righteousness. 
It's a warning against self-reliance. I can just do this. If I just do this, if I'm good enough, if I do all the right things, then no, that's not how it is. And it's also a warning against entitlement. I deserve this. So plain and simple, this is, uh, it, this, the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount is the presentation of the gospel. And it's a good thing if you feel like, man, I've actually been mourning and I feel kind of like meek and I feel like I can't do this life. Blessed are you. And we'll go and we'll do a word study like next week if, um, if I feel like it, but um, which, but I, you know, I love word studies, so watch out. But it's really like, it can be translated as wonderful news. Congratulations, lucky are you. So it's, it, should, it should bolster your heart a little bit. The gospel, this is, this is good news, not good advice, right? So Jesus is saying, he's like, all the controls for satisfaction, it's like, if I do this, then I'll be satisfied. If I just have this relationship, if I just have this thing, if I just get over this thing, then I'll be satisfied. God's like, no, it's actually, we're switching that. I'm switching the controls. You must first rely on me and be okay where you are. Satisfaction, he's switching the controls of power as well. Like, if I do this, if I leverage this, then I will have more power. God's like, no, it's actually, I'm turning it all around. You know, in a world, um, I've joked about this in the past, talking about this word blessed. I just love this word blessed. But, you know, in our culture, it's just hashtag blessed. You guys are familiar with that. To be blessed is success. You know, blessed if you have that relationship. Blessed if you have that wealth or if you have that long life or that health or that victory in battle or just more stuff, right? But Jesus is offering something else. He's, he's, he's saying, blessed are the humble, are the broken, the poor in spirit, those who mourn, the peacemakers. So God is acting in and through Jesus to turn the world right side up, to pour lavish blessing on all who turn to him and accept the new thing that he's doing. But the point of this is not to just give a list of like, okay, these are all the people that Jesus blesses. Here it is. And more so, it's actually a message to announce the ways of the new covenant, okay? A way of living and loving and working and talking and engaging and enjoying God's glorious and gracious kingdom. Jesus is proclaiming a whole new way of understanding the future. So we're going to get a little bit into eschatology here. If you just talk about the future a little bit, not too much. But before that, I just want to just kind of, my point here is God is asking us to, to make a choice. In your life, in your thoughts, in your words, in your actions, are you living in the direction of the kingdom and the mentality and the constitution of a believer's heart to take on the Beatitudes and those things? Or am I living like the world? And I'm asking myself that same question. We have a choice to make. And it reminds me, when I was 16, I watched my, one of my favorite movies, The Matrix. And apparently, they have a new one. I want to watch it. I don't know how good it is. Don't tell me. But, uh, but I, I remember seeing this movie, and I was 16, so I was really impressionable in this way. And I was just kind of processing reality and just having this existential journey. Like, what is real? What's life like? And who am I? What's my calling? What's my purpose? And I remember, you remember that famous scene. You guys seen this movie, I'm sure, right? When Morpheus is confronting Neo, and he's like, which reality, which vision are you choosing here? Can you go back to sleep and live your, go on your job and do your thing? Or you can wake up and experience revival in your life and choose the way of truth. And so I think Jesus is doing this with this crowd. 
And he's doing it with us, like Morpheus to Neo. Which pill should you choose? It's not a pill. It's more of a path. Which vision are you going to choose? And I'm asking myself that same question. I want to choose the way of the kingdom. Incredible things will happen. I just want to, I want to live life in a community with you guys with the centrality of Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit, making mission practical and doing this together as family and raise our kids together. And when this happens, I just want, I just want to like do that and see what happens. See the explosion of life and love in the kingdom of God come alive in our life. So maybe you're asking though, okay, when does this happen? You're, you're speaking in present tense. Is it really present tense? Or maybe is it a future blessing? How does this new reality come to pass? And I think the temptation from, for a lot, of, a lot of Christian teachers in the past, or even, maybe not a lot, I don't know, but there's this mentality, I think this temptation for us is to be like, this all happens in heaven, right? This happens in heaven after death. In fact, it does say in verse 3 and 10 and 11, it says, the kingdom of heaven belongs to the poor in spirit and the persecuted, and there's... There is a great reward in heaven for those who suffer persecution for Jesus' sake, right? But I do think that there is, this might be a misunderstanding of heaven. And I'm getting this from the scriptures, but I'm also getting this from uh, one of the most renowned theologians, N.T. Wright, and all of his study on the historical context, what the scriptures say, and, and God's plan for, for the planet. So heaven is really, it's not this disembodied place far away. Heaven is God's space. And God is here. God, so it's, it's where full and true reality exists. And it's closer than we think. I think maybe some of us know, okay, yeah, heaven might be close. Heaven, heaven can come. Jesus is here, right? But it's actually way closer than we think. And the reality is that it's actually beginning to interlock with the earth. But there is counter forces trying to fight against that reality. Hence what's happening in the world. But it's dovetailing. One day, heaven and earth will be joined together forever. Theologically, it's called the consummation of heaven and earth. This is our purpose, church, is to see the consummation of heaven and earth. You know, and it also, just to kind of like hit that point again, we talked about this, the meek will inherit the earth. How, is it, how are we supposed to inherit the earth if we live in a disembodied reality, right? That is actually Plato's teaching, by the way. It's Greek philosophy. It's not scripture. But anyway, we're talking about Another clue to this is the next chapter in, in chapter six, the prayer that Jesus taught his followers. We all, we all know this. We all, we all know it as the Lord's Prayer. And so we are to pray that Jesus, that God's kingdom will come, that his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I'll call up um, Wesley. We'll move to a close here. You know, this life of heaven, there is a reality and a truth of heaven this is God's space, this life where it's a realm where God is already king. <laughs> this is what heaven is. It's like, this is the space where God is already king. This is, but right now we're in contested space. That's why we need to rise up as a royal priesthood to represent the king. But heaven is where God is already king. And so our job is to allow that reality to come and transform this reality. And we do that by living out the Sermon on the Mount. Does this make sense now? It's like when we live meek, when, we have, when we're poor in spirit, when we hunger and thirst for righteousness, we're actually allowing heaven to invade this dark place right here in our bodies and right here in our church and right here in this, this cultural moment. 
And this is what God has always intended. He, believe me, God desires to partner with us to allow this world to be transformed into his original design, which is marked by peace and shalom, flourishing and beauty and delight. It's like Eden, but more. It's this garden city of harmony. So for those of us who follow Jesus, who call ourselves Christ followers, we are called to, to live by that rule and those principles and those priorities in the here and now. This is what the Sermon on the Mount is all about, and specifically the Beatitudes. So the Beatitudes is an invitation to live in the present in a way that will make sense in God's promised future. Because the future has arrived, my friends. The future has arrived in the present through the person of Jesus Christ. I don't know if you thought about it that way, but Jesus is the beginning of heaven. He's the beginning of the new creation and it continues through us. So are we living that way? This is the challenge. This is what I love to explore this together. You know, God seems to do some of his greatest work in the middle of hardship, <laughs> in the middle of crisis, in the middle of upheaval. This is when God seems to prove himself most mighty. And so it's my heart that we lean in and watch him do what he does. And we pray together, Lord, would you come? We trust you. Would you have your way in our day? So church, God is calling us to partner with him in every part. Like we're married to him. I, I, don't, I don't have any separation. Like I'm interdependent with Rachel. And I'm just like, Lord, I'm interdependent every part. Would you let heaven come in my own heart, my own marriage, and throughout the world? So he's calling us to be a people marked by humility and courage and faith and prayer, following Jesus through the Holy Spirit. I just kind of wanted to move into a, a moment here of response and, and ministry. And so allow yourself to maybe allow all of that cognition to just kind of like sink into your spirit, start to operate from your heart and your spirit here. It's not that you turn off the mind, you just receive. It's an experience. It's not totally analysis. And so God, we just open up our hearts and I thank you for this incredible church. The way that they do hunger and thirst for righteousness. The way that they are poor in spirit. The way they do mourn. The way that they are meek. And so I just call out our identity. I call forth the identity. True Christ followers in this place. And if there's anything that's stopping us from, from living right side up, would you speak to us, Holy Spirit? Would you speak to our hearts right now?
getting the sense in my heart that there might be a few of us in here that are dealing with a little bit of anxiety, to be honest. Just the little, like, just tightness in the heart, in the chest. Got all these things. Am I enough? And as just as a sign of, with eyes closed, as a sign of kind of stepping out of that, would you just be bold and raise your hand if you're working through that right now? Yeah. I see your hands. Thank you for your courage. Breakthrough. This is the beginning of breakthrough right here when you raise your hand. And so Lord, I just pray for everyone who raised their hands and those who, who are feeling that way and just they didn't raise their hands. And I just pray, Lord, I just pray for a supernatural impartation of your peace. Would you trade all anxiety for trust right now? All of the ways that we feel like we need to be in control because things will fall apart. Would we just trust that to you, God? We thank you that all good things come from you. So we just receive your peace, curing power on our mind. Yeah, and I just thank you, Father, that you're faithful and you're doing a good work in us. It's so evident. And though sometimes the change and the transformation seems to be painful, it's like this, these plates scraping together and this tectonic shifting of our hearts, this transformation of who we are. But even in the midst of the pain and the sanctification, the affliction, we just declare that we trust you. We trust that you're making this place right side up. You're restoring, you're reviving, you're awakening. You're, there's reconciliation and unity and healing and joy and delight. So thank you for giving birth to this, this life of flourishing. Let us be marked by these qualities to know that you're with us, you're the good shepherd. And actually the truth is, this is, an, this is, a, this is explaining who you are, Jesus. For I am humble and lowly in spirit. Come and follow me and have rest for your souls. Just feel ways of God's presence. So Lord, I thank you for what you're doing today. I thank you for this opportunity to, to, be, to take our stand as your army, to take our stand as your children, to have your touch to have your love, to have your equipping, have your correction. You're a good father. And as your children, we say thank you and we trust you. So we look forward to this meal we're gonna have after church, almost as like a Sabbath meal. We're gonna eat and enjoy each other together. And I just thank you for your presence and for leading us. We thank you for the peace that is coming and that is ready here. We trust you with all our hearts. And everyone said, amen, amen, amen.